Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 54. And I think that the, a big percentage of the costs that are linked to obtaining of the certification is related to the economies of scale. In 2015, all multilateral development banks set their climate targets looking ahead to 2020. For example, the EBRD set a target of reaching 40% in green investments from the total annual investments. Some of them are operating at very high standards, so reporting is quite easy, whereas others are just entering the sustainable business space. Welcome to Trade Finance Talks. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Now, a decade ago this week, I was in the Peruvian Amazon, and I thought I'd put up a figure I used back in 2010. 33 trillion US dollars is the estimated real economic value of global biodiversity. Why? Such areas of land are valuable for pharmaceuticals, food and other products which are incredibly useful to humans. Also, they provide services such as climate stabilisation, recreational value and clean water. So moving forwards to right now, why do we care about this? And what has this got to do with sustainable trade finance and supply chains? I think that there are three key drivers here. Firstly, a consumer-driven approach, i.e. achieving the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, and demanding sustainably sourced goods. There's a market and rules-driven approach, i.e. what can governments, DFIs, and MDBs do to enforce environmental, societal, and governance ESG into corporate agendas. And finally, there's an investor or cost-of-capital-driven approach, i.e. preferential financing offered by banks. Today, we're taking a step beyond the hype of sustainable trade finance and actually looking at the role of multilateral development banks and development finance institutions when it comes to sustainable trade finance. And there's no doubt that COVID-19 has changed the appetite here. Companies want to see what's happening everywhere in their supply chain and trace any item in it from field to factory to customer and beyond. So integrating any tools that can support resilient supply chains can also underpin sustainability efforts. So suddenly there's less of a trade-off between cost, reliability, resilience and sustainability. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Roberto Lever at the Asian Development Bank, Maria Mogulnaya, at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, and Inho Lee at the International Finance Corporation. All welcome to Trade Finance Talks. So in 30 seconds or so, please can you give me an elevator pitch? Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Roberto, over to you to start. Thank you. So I'm a relationship manager for the Trade and Supply Chain Finance Programme at the Asian Development Bank. And I'm also in charge of the safeguard initiative of our program. I am Italian and British by passport. 
And I'm supposedly living in Manila at the moment, although I moved back to Italy at the end of March due to the COVID-19 situation. Thank you. Maria, over to you. So since we speak about nationalities, I am Russian and I am a Russian lawyer turned trade finance banker to the surprise, but also enjoyment of the head of our trade facilitation program, Rudolf Putz. I still remember my conversation with him when he thought, how can we turn Marie into a trade finance banker? And he has succeeded. So in January 2021, it will be 10 years as I have been working at the EBRD in London. I'm a green trade finance enthusiast and I'm a product lead for the green trade facilitation program at the EBRD. Thank you very much, Maria. Inho, over to you. Thank you, Tipesh. Uh, my name is Inho Lee. I'm head of trade finance investments at the IFC, where I had our investment activities that involve financial intermediaries as well as uh, corporate commodities traders. Thank you very much. So what a great panel we have. Maria, let's start with you. What is sustainable trade finance? And also, what's the difference between this and green finance, which people are probably more aware of? That's an excellent question. And uh, let's maybe start with sustainable trade finance. Uh, I would say it's a wider term and may include any trade finance targeting any types of uh, sustainability, which could also include, for example, social sustainability. And here examples could be trade finance uh, with the elements of inclusion and or gender equality. Often sustainable trade finance can also be linked to the sustainable development goals. If we look at green trade finance, then we look at environmental sustainability. So uh, you may also know the term ESG, and that's the E in this term, the environmental. For example, at the EBRD, we look at climate change mitigation and adaptation, and that's the core element um, of our green trade facilitation program. And we also look how our trade finance can support and facilitate the technology and materials transfer that are necessary for the transition to the green economies across the EBRD regions. However, one should also know that green trade finance is just one, of course, a very important element of green finance, another wider term. And green finance may also include green bonds, green mortgages or green loans. In principle, any type of investment aimed at decarbonization of the economies we all live in. Thank you very much. And it's important to distinguish the umbrella term, I guess, of green finance and where sustainable trade finance sits within that. And I guess that brings us on to a very important working group, the International Chamber of Commerce ICC Working Group on Sustainable Trade Finance, which Roberto leads. Can you tell us a bit more about this working group? Sure, absolutely. So... The working group was established in 2016, so it's just turned four years old, and, and it was established by within the Banking Commission of the International Chamber of Commerce, and it's basically a group of volunteers. Now we've got over 50 of them, so it's a very successful group, that has been tasked to look at ways to promote the important topic of sustainability within the trade finance world. So... The task of the working group started quite broadly in the sense that we were kind of given carte blanche or where we wanted the industry to focus its effort. And after a few iteration, the first year of the period of life of the working group, we structure ourselves in four different streams, which are now independently successful. So the first one is about the process and principles. So we are looking at 
how a bank could select which counterparties to deal with in their day-to-day activity from a sustainability perspective, and also what type of processes the bank should be implementing in order to review a transaction, always from an ESG perspective. The second stream is about training. So we look at how to promote the concept of sustainability within the industry and let people become aware of its importance and of the risk that would be embedded in not looking at these aspects of the business. The third working group is about capital. So we are looking at potential, let's say, financial incentives that could be driven in order to further develop this, the market of sustainable trade finance and how could we empirically prove that potentially a sustainable transaction has a better credit profile, given that, for example, the longer lifespan of a company that applies such uh, practices. And then the fourth working stream within the working group is based on the creation of a set of definitions because we are talking about sustainable trade finance and everyone has more or less an idea of what we are talking about, but the definition, the clear-cut definition does not exist yet. While similar initiatives on sustainable finance have been carried out in other areas of banking, this is still lacking within the trade finance. So we are trying to fill in that gap to ensure that when we talk about sustainable trade finance, we all know exactly what we're talking about. And we know exactly which type of products we are referring to in order to provide some consistency in our results. Thanks very much, Roberto. Very good overview. And and I guess let's talk about that second point with Inho. How can you risk manage sustainability in trade finance and what tools are available? Perhaps you can give us an overview of what we were talking about last week, which is GMAP. Well, GMAP is an online tool aligned to IFCs as well as other, I believe, DFI, MFI performance standards. It collects public information on environmental and social risks on about 250 country commodity combinations, uh, for example, you know, Brazil, soy, Ghana, cocoa, Vietnam, coffee. This tool helps facilitate financing decisions by assigning color-coded risk maps so from low risk to high risk relating to child labor, conservation of critical habitats, biodiversity. This is one of the uh, kind of tools for us in identifying these risks, uh, not just for us, but of course our clients and also for markets so that where there are risks, those can be addressed. Great. Thank you very much. And Roberto, how is the ICC working group engaging with GMAP and can it connect with other industry utilities such as SWIFT or IDC sustainability map? Well, as I was mentioning, the first um, of our uh, streams is looking at processing principles and that's where dialogue with uh, IFC and GMAT is focused. So GMAT is a very important tool, and, but it looks specifically, for example, of soft commodities. So what the working group is doing, the ICC working group is doing, is to uh, allowing some feedback to be passed back to the IFC with regards to potential broadening the scope of the coverage that GMAT currently has. And uh, for example, we, as you mentioned, ITC, ITC had some very valuable maps that we helped integrating within GMA, so enhancing its value. And at the moment, for example, also within ADB, we are trying to see how could we potentially collaborate with, with IFC and see 
whether there is any scope for us to provide additional information on the countries that we specifically cover. With regards to the engagement, for example, of utilities for the industry, such as SWIFT, we have been having other integration with them, for example, of our customer due diligence questionnaire that later this year will be embedded in the SWIFT KYC registry. And of course, we are trying to find also solution out of the box because one of the challenges that the banks have been highlighting about the users of GMAP is the system integration with this very valuable tool. So we've been also trying to talk about potential industry bodies that could help us use the GMAP information and try to connect it directly with each individual bank that, for example, has access to SWIFT. Those are all ideas for the moment. But the point is, like, as a working group, we are trying to make the valuable information already available as practical as possible, as usable as possible for the industry. Thanks, Roberta. So I guess it, it really boils down to those two points around interoperability and also standardization and how can public-private partnerships really drive this. Maria, what's the benefit of a sustainable trade finance product? So, for example, a green letter of credit from a multilateral, say, to a bank or its corporates. Can you give me any real case studies? Thank you, Deepesh. Yes, green letters of credit are very important. And as a non-native English speaker, Sometimes I say letters sounds like a lettuce, so it, then it becomes green lettuce of credit. So even I once was asked whether it's really a lettuce. So unfortunately, it's not something you can eat, but it's an important product um, that um, can be developed by banks all over the world. We have been working on supporting our local banks in the EBRD regions um, in terms of green trade finance since 2016. But let me say that the EBRD, we have been working on green finance since 1994. So we have quite a lot of experience and we have um, set very ambitious targets for our investments. And the latest EBRD strategy envisages that the EBRD will be majority green bank by 2025. So from our side, uh, sustainability, sustainable finance or green trade finance means uh, our focus on climate change mitigation and adaptation. And specifically in the green trade facilitation program, we look at green technologies and materials, for example, in the areas of energy efficiency, resource efficiency, which also includes water saving technologies, renewables and sustainably sourced materials. Since 2016, when we started our green trade facilitation program, we have supported almost 700 million euros worth of green trade finance in 22 economies. And I would say that the benefit of a green letter of credit, and um, here I mean a letter of credit supporting the import of green technologies or materials, is actually the same as a normal letter of credit. Uh, what I mean is that it helps mitigate risks on both sides of the transaction and the usual payment risk or risk of non-delivery of goods. However, what makes it green is the underlying technology or materials. And here, many of our local banks in the BRD regions, they lack engineering expertise to determine which technology or materials are green and which are not. And as Roberto mentioned, uh, we are working with the industry to develop standard definitions for sustainable trade finance, which will, of course, be very helpful to banks across the world. But in terms of our regions, this is where the EBRD can help, because what we do is we, we provide the engineering expertise for our local banks. We come in and we help them to build their own capacity to understand which technologies are 
green and which are not. And it often really depends on the specific country and on their level of development and the level of um, market penetration by green technologies in that region. And you asked me to give you an example, and I can say that how about um, the following? A letter of credit supporting an import of a resource-efficient bottling line from Germany to Armenia. And we have calculated that the annual savings in terms of water consumption by this technology will allow 220 Armenian households to have access to water. And that's the type of um, engineering expertise that we have at our disposal, that we can translate something that is very technical into something that anyone can understand. Thanks, Maria. That's really interesting. And it's particularly interesting because the bank might not necessarily have a directly vested interest in the longer term impact of this. But obviously, the development bank's perspective, you take a very long-term view. You can apply a different lens to assess the impact. So in this case, the impact on more sustainably sourced materials and also apply that level of engineering expertise that your banks might not have the resources to do to assess that risk. I think the other issue is really around reporting. Inho, perhaps you can go into a little bit more detail on what the key issues might be when it comes to banks reporting on sustainable trade finance and various metrics. Yes, I mean, I think that as far as different issues I think they kind of evolve around different stages of evolution as far as uh, where our clients are sometimes. That is, some of them are operating at very high standards, so reporting is quite easy, whereas others are just entering the sustainable business space. So I think there needs to be a lot more interaction in terms of helping to define what qualifies or what is or what complies with our standards that we're talking about. Largely, it's those kind of newer clients or probably the ones that are just getting into this space where we need to spend more time in terms of education, promotion, and other things to kind of be on the same page. Thanks very much, Inho. And Roberto, another incredibly important factor here is certification, which as we know, it can be very time consuming for corporates and also banks to obtain the relevant certification. As Inho touched upon, we lack standardization from market to market, and there are lots of different types all around the world. Can you give any examples of this and how certification can actually act as a force for good in SDGs? There are multiple certifications, for example, for production of palm oil. That's one of the most common and known to everyone, the famous RSPO. One of the challenges that we see across the industry is a lack of standardization. And I think that the, a big percentage of the costs that are linked to obtaining of the certification is related to the economies of scale that, you know, each certification is limited, might be limited, limited geographically and product-wise. So one of the roles of a multilateral, in my opinion, in this area would be the opportunity to understand what certifications are available and to a certain extent potentially look at endorsement of such certification and the mapping of where these certifications are available. When we discussed GMAP before, for example, certification is one of the pieces of information that is required within the tool 
that looks after the sustainability. When we look at the specialized knowledge that goes into certification, I would say there is a, a positive wave that hits the corporate that adopts that certification because there is a overall rising of the bar. The practices that corporate applies in the production, for example, in this case of palm oil. One of the challenges are the costs, and the cost is particularly hard on the SMEs in emerging markets. So another item that multilateral should be looking at is the possibility of supporting the promotion of certification also financially in some of the most challenging coverage areas that they under their responsibility. At our end at ADB, we are currently promoting ESMS, so environmental and social management system enhancement for some of our banks in emerging markets. And although per se that would you couldn't classify it as a certification or a specific product, it helps also the bank understanding what um, the standards are at international level and helps them make an independent evaluation and allows them to connect better with the international market as often the certification and the most challenging area are uh, sitting in the emerging markets. Thank you very much. And I think that leads us nicely onto our, our next question. Maria, how can different multilaterals try and get together and gather information in certain markets and, and help drive some of the standardization, benchmarking, et cetera, of these tools and certification? I'm not sure whether the listeners will know, but the multilateral development banks have been reporting on climate finance since 2011. And they do so through a joint report on multilateral development banks' climate finance. The report for 2019 was published in August 2020, and I really encourage the listeners to find it online and read it. The report is based on the jointly developed methodology for climate finance, and uh, in 2015, all multilateral development banks set their climate targets looking ahead to 2020. For example, the EBRD set a target of reaching 40% in green investments from the total annual investments by 2020. And we have delivered at the head of schedule. In 2019, we have reached 46% in green investments from our total investment volume for the year. It's interesting that guarantees that are used by the multilateral development banks to support trade finance in their respective regions are included in the joint report as one of the financial instruments. But I think there has not yet been a special focus on trade finance. So, for example, there is no separate section in this report or separate recording of such transactions. And I think this is something that uh, we could really work on and it could change over the years as we work closer together and between the multilateral development banks, but also with the industry as we work on developing the definitions of sustainable trade finance and also methodologies and standards for reporting. Yeah, and I think definitely something that the ICC Working Group on Sustainable Trade Finance is, is actively working on. So, so looking forward to watch this space really evolve. Let's talk about capital requirements. Maria, can we link sustainability criteria into finance credits or perhaps quantitatively evaluate the longer term impacts on sustainability, which can help us perhaps lower the cost of financing? I think will be the hot topic for the next uh, months and years. And as Roberto mentioned, 
the working group on sustainable trade finance at the ICC Banking Commission is working on this. It's one of the substreams or work streams on capital treatment for sustainable trade finance. I have been working in this group for almost a year and I'm part of this work stream. So it's really exciting. It's really, that's the, the hottest topic and really the right time to for any of the listeners to join this working group uh, if they would like. So as part of our work, we have completed the survey of 16 banks, investment firms, and multilateral development banks, and other development finance institutions. And the main aim of the survey was to really understand the scope of possible incentives, if any could be offered, to promote sustainable trade finance and whether there is a case for or case could be made for favorable capital treatment for such transactions and what are the challenges that uh, the respondents could see. Many of us have heard and have seen examples of uh, what is called sustainability-linked loans. I believe these are the the most known products that have been launched um, in the market, uh, including in trade finance or supply chain finance, that link uh, the pricing formation for a specific transaction to the sustainability rating of a buyer and potentially also suppliers in the supply chain. These products uh, are existing and there are also industry standards for this already. However, we need something similar for trade finance. Trade finance has its own challenges. And it's interesting that from the respondents to the survey that we have conducted, both preferential financing terms for sustainable practices or sustainable materials or technologies, but also punitive pricing for unsustainable practices have been mentioned by the respondents. So there is really no clear cut as to whether we should incentivize with a pricing discount or we should incentivize with upping our pricing if the company or the goods are not um, sustainably sourced or are not uh, energy efficient. In terms of the challenges, all respondents provided their view. And um, to name a few, I would say that uh, there is a lack of standard definitions. And this is what the working group is working on with the industry. There is a lack of um, standards. And the, um, as Inho mentioned, there are some banks are very advanced. They have bespoke metrics. Some others don't. So there is no really a minimum standard requirement for the industry from on which based on which other financiers could build on. There is a lack of comprehensive and verifiable historic data on default rates in sustainable or green trade finance transactions, which of course makes it very difficult to have a very well-informed discussion with our risk management, for example. And there is a still a lack of uh, collective industry view, which still needs to be formed. We are currently working on the white paper on capital treatment for sustainable trade finance, which I'm sure will provide a very good foundation for further development in this area. However, if we abstract from just the work of the working group at the ICC Banking Commission, I think what is really important for financiers or banks, any other investment providers, is to look for just beyond the cash flow analysis. It's not about the cash flow of your client anymore. We really need to assess all risks that are material, including climate risk. And climate risks will need to be identified and importantly understood by the bankers so that they can be mitigated during the underwriting process. And I think there is quite a lot of um, development in this area and also in terms of uh, knowledge building capacity to assess uh, climate risks.
Thanks very much, Maria. I actually was reading the TXF Commodity Finance Survey yesterday, which indicated that throughout the pandemic, commodity traders are still very much focused on profitability and keeping their trading businesses live in, in a very low margin environment. So actually, you know, whether it's incentivizing good practice in sustainability or negatively incentivizing for bad practice, I think it's very important to have that add that into the equation. I think on the knowledge building, knowledge sharing is also very important. Why is it important for new technologies such as pollutant filtration systems in cars, for example, which are often produced in developed countries? Why is it important to share those best practices in developing and emerging economies? And how can multilaterals like the EBRD help with that? Multilateral development banks, and here it's not only the EBRD, but all of us. So those on, on this podcast, so the ADB and the AFC, but also others in other regions, they have really a major role to play. And here we really need to help facilitate the green technology and materials transfer. And if I speak about the EBRD and our regions, most of the economies in our regions have uh, very energy intense manufacturing sectors and often very high energy prices for households. You may not know, but the EBRD region's carbon intensity is almost five times higher than the EU average. And the main problem that we see in our work is that the economies in our regions do not produce green technologies, which could be used for less energy-intense manufacturing, or they don't produce green materials that could be used for home energy improvements. So these need to be imported. And as we operate in high-risk countries, our support to green trade finance in the region is essential if we want to facilitate the green economy transition. However, apart from trade finance support in terms of financing the transfer of the supply of technologies or materials, our support to green trade finance um, also comes uh, through other aspects. And one of them is uh, raising awareness in the local markets. So, for example, we work on raising the knowledge of local banks and local bankers on what is and what is not green when it comes to financing green technologies or materials with the EBRD. So, of course, in the absence of industry standard definitions, we have to at least explain to our partners, our clients, what is green as per our methodology. And this way we close the information gap. But we also work uh, on raising the know-how on how to source green or sustainable trade finance transactions and how to use available tools. There are different uh, tools available on the market, different certifications. And as Roberto mentioned, it's really all a bit disjointed and there are a lot of things happening. So to make it a bit easier for our regions, we have created our green technology selector and it's currently host over 18,000 of technologies or materials. It's open to all companies from all over the world that want to export to the EBRD regions. Having this green technology selector really helps our local banks because it eliminates the need for them to have engineering expertise. The last part, the third part that is very important, and here it's the core role of the multilateral development banks, is we really need to work more on standardizing green trade finance practices and on enhancing transparency, which would in turn really support market development and facilitate green investments across the globe.
Thanks very much, Maria. And for our listeners, there are links to the Green Technology Selector and also the Multilateral Development Bank Climate Finance Report on the link on this on tradefinanceglobal.com. Let's go into a bit more detail on education. And Maria, I'll give you a break now. Roberto, what difference can education make in the sector and how can multilaterals and also institutions such as the ICC support with this? Thank you. Well, what difference education can make? Massive, not just here, everywhere, but specifically on this topic, I would say that there is plenty of knowledge in the market about sustainable finance, and there is plenty of knowledge in the market about trade finance. But there is a gap in terms of training and knowledge material that specifically look at the connection point between these two topics, so sustainable trade finance. So the training that within the ICC working group and in general that the multilateral should be promoting need to tackle this specific area for both expert and non-expert. What do I mean by that? For the expert, it's like, as I mentioned, you have a lot of sustainability experts that need to learn about how sustainability applies to trade finance. But And the same works for those technical people in a lot of technical roles within trade finance they need to understand how sustainability apply to the products that they have been using over the past few decades. Now, how can we spread this knowledge? The best at the moment is through a podcast, like the one we're having right now, webinars, so that where people can get an understanding of what are the, the standards out there for sustainable trade finance, what are the leading institutions that can provide like, examples about how they looked at, for example, capital costs for green transactions. Okay, There are specific institutions out there that we are engaging within our working group. And what we are trying to do is trying to gain that knowledge and find platform through which that knowledge can be shared. We are recently taking a, a new online training on sustainability in trade finance that the working group is currently trialing and potentially could be endorsed for broader distribution. This would be it's quite a breakthrough because at the moment you wouldn't have much training available online such you would have on, on technical products. And this would be uh, extremely beneficial also for what I earlier referred to as the non-expert. The reality is that global institutions would have specific roles dedicated to sustainability across the different products. Smaller institutions or institutions in emerging markets might not have that opportunity yet and might need some guidance on how to, the topic can be addressed and also from an organizational structure perspective. So sharing this online training would raise awareness and the multilateral, such as what I'm doing with NDB, can also sit down with the banks in the emerging market and better explain what the opportunities and potential risks are because you have some materials behind the scene that is industry-recognized and that could be used as a starting point for, for a very valuable conversation. Now, the as I said, training started from the very beginning. What we're trying to do is trying to structure the knowledge and bring it back to the industry. It's a moving target, obviously, but because the working group are constantly engaged and open to suggestion, I see this a specific stream of our working group growing exponentially over the next year or two.
Thank you very much, Roberto. And I think I'm going to end with one final question and in how I'm going to come to you first, but I'll give you my answer first. So the question is, what is the future of sustainable trade finance? What does that look like? And what should be the priority in the next 12 months or so? And from my perspective, I think it's there should be no such thing as a sustainability expert. It should, in fact, really be embedded into the BAU amongst the trade finance community. It should be just as obvious as, as a letter of credit. That's what I see in the next few months. Inho, over to you. Yes, so well, I would share in those goals. I think that's what we all strive to achieve. But I think that this kind of comes back to, you know, what is sustainable? Because there are a lot of definitions. Now, as far as SDGs, we're talking about 17 different dimensions. So I think what's important is depending on what trade can accomplish, well, identifying and standardizing what's doable within the trade space. So I think that for us, we're largely focusing on climate and gender financing, but obviously there are many other dimensions that we could expand into. And I think that's really what we're trying to do. I mean, there are many other things that we could be doing, but I think for us, we want to be trying to do, well, what is measurable? What is something we can promote? What is something where we can create and increase the standards of? So that's, I guess, how we look at it, I guess, going forward for the next year or, or so. Thank you, Enho. Maria, over to you. I would say that um, certifications and uh, any internationally recognized certifications, uh, they are very important and uh, could be a good indicator of what is um, sustainable when uh, a financier looks um, at a specific supply chain or at a specific uh, client. However, what impedes further development of the integration of internationally recognized certifications into the assessment is this patchy network of different websites, different databases. And I think what uh, we as multilateral development banks should really work on as well is to bring all of these certifications uh, to be under one roof, so to say, to find a solution where a bank could, um, with one click, to assess whether their transaction could be green. For example, FSC certification has a searchable database, so why don't we make it um, more automated? I don't have a solution to this. Uh, from the EBRD, we are looking for some startups who could help us solve this issue. And if we find a solution, I will be very happy to share with the rest of the world. So call to action for any startups listening in on this podcast. Maria and EBRD need you. Roberto, over to you. Well, picking up from Maria was saying about how can we put everything under one roof? For example, that's what we are trying to look at with GMAP and the IFC. Let's say, how can we grow it farther beyond the scope that it currently has? But yes, there are different avenues that we can take. This is the one we are considering at the moment, for example. And I think that can be grown organically. Now, my own opinion as well, it's something that the industry asks us multilaterally to focus on. It's definitions to start with. I think if we are trying with the working group, with Maria, with other institutions involved, to build up a set of definition of what sustainable trade finance is. And I think that needs to be 
an immediate st starting point for a lot of other discussions. The definition per se could be reference to how something is certified as sustainable, for example, but the starting point, in my opinion, and that's where I would like to focus on my immediate effort is to have the industry sit down and sign off on what we define as sustainable trade finance and then use this as a starting point for all the other initiatives that are growing around it. Well, look, thank you very much, Roberto, Inho and Maria for taking the time on coming on to this brilliant educational podcast. And I think going back to my introduction, everyone was probably a little bit confused as to why I was talking about you know, the real economic value of global biodiversity in the 33 trillion US dollar figure I alluded to at the start, but hopefully we come back and that brings our session to a close. Thank you very much. Look forward to hearing about these new definitions and TFG will be promoting and publishing that very widely to our listeners. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 